The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. get to look at one of the most foundational ideas in all of scripture. And uh, I mean that. We're going to be looking at a word that gets thrown a lot, around a lot, that we talk about a lot, that churches seem to be absolutely obsessed about this one word. Uh, maybe it's a word that makes you uncomfortable, confused. Maybe you've heard it so many times that now it's just Christianese. It's like, blah, blah, blah. I don't know what it means anymore. We say it that many times. I, I don't know. Um, it's this big, nasty word, disciple, or discipleship, um, or disciple-making. You take it, and you, you can add whatever you, know, you want to the word. And I want to call something out here right at the beginning. Um, this is a word discipleship that can um, hang over our heads. And, and I want to call this out because we talk about it a lot. We talk about it all the time. Um, and yet, there's this question that comes to my mind, and I know in, in several of our minds it says, but am I really doing that? Um, we know in Matthew 28, Jesus, he gives us the great commission and, and says, go therefore, make disciples. We hear it, and then we think, but am I at, like, I mean, am I actually doing that? Am I effective at doing that? How do I know that I am doing that? And, and I want to bring up a, a little experiment I did a while ago. We're not going to do it again, because once you do it one time, you can't do it again. It, it wastes it. Um, but so many years ago, like in the early stages of our church, I remember asking three questions to our church. And uh, for each of them, I'll never forget this, for each of them I asked for a show of hands. And the first question was, um, how many know that Jesus has called you directly to make disciples? And in the room, I mean, almost every hand went up and the ones that didn't were just asleep, okay? And uh, then the second question was, same thing, show of hands, how many are actively making disciples today? And then the third question was, how many of you feel both equipped and effective at making disciples today? And I asked these three questions, and um, I was shocked because, I mean, we're a church. We, we teach the word, and we're in it, and we, we love it. And um, I was looking out at mature believers and, like, parents and leaders, Christian leaders, leaders in ministries and all that. Um, and here's the thing. Nearly the entire room had their hand up for question one. We know he's called us, right? We, boom, we got it. Um, but hear me, most hands went down for question number two. Like, I know he's called it, but am I actually doing it? Coming down, right? And then of the hands that were up, most of those hands went down for question three. That I'm not only doing it, and I know I'm called to it, but I feel equipped and effective at it. Like, maybe four hands in the whole room. And I'm looking out at this, and again, I'm not going to redo it here, but I think if we're honest, many of us would be in that same or similar boat. And um, where we say, yes, I know, Jesus, you've called me to make disciples. I know that. 
but no, I, I don't think I'm effectively doing it. And, and I don't think that I'm equipped at, at doing it. Listen, I wanted to call this out right at the beginning because the space between those two things, on this hand, Jesus, you're calling me. And on this hand, I'm actively doing it and feel equipped to do it. The space between those two things um, has to be addressed. Um, because Jesus really did mean it. Matthew 28, he really did mean that. He really did mean it when he said that he would be with you as you do it. But for many of us, what I have found out is that we don't know, quite know what it is. Like, we're called to be a disciple, to make disciples, but we don't quite know what a disciple is or quite what discipleship is. And so we don't know if we're doing it. And um, I want to give you two, I mean, a swing the pendulum far in, in two ways to kind of illustrate this before we get into our text. Over here, example number one, I'm not going to use names here, and I'm going to be very vague. I'm not talking about you, okay? Uh, maybe. Um, but I've seen people who are active in their kid's life, for example, who talk to their kids about Jesus. I've seen people who are active in the church, leading in the church, leading other people in relationship with other people. Like they're the people that, you know, people call when they're going through something and they want to hear from them. I've seen people who are, I've seen encouraged people in the word of God. I've seen their life is just this powerful example. I have heard those very same people say the words, man, I wish I knew how to make disciples. I wish I had the right book that it would just click and I would know what to do. Listen, if you're not making disciples, what are you doing? What do you call what you're doing? I'll never forget, I had someone very specific in my life a long time ago who poured into my life, had such an impact. I grew with this person as I served with him. And then one day we were talking about discipleship and he said those words. He goes, you know, I wish I knew how to make disciples. And I was somewhat offended. I was like, you know what? Well, what have you been doing with me this whole time? Like, what do you call, what do you, what do you call this? And for some of you, for, I hope to just say, stop it. See what you're doing. You're making disciples. Um, there are many of you that I just want to say, don't look past what you're doing in your life with your friends, with your family, with your kids. Don't look past that. You don't always need a book. You don't always need a program. You don't always need a 12-week class to know that I am making disciples, okay? Pendulum swing over here. Um, that's on this hand. But I want to talk about the other pendulum swing. There are some people who, if I ask, are you making disciples, you're like, of course I am. I read that book. I did get that book. It was great. He missed a few things, but I got the book. And I, you know, um, I've met people who say boldly in a sermon about discipleship, amen, right? Um, who will leave church feeling all fired up and inspired, and yet who will never speak or think about or talk about the name of Jesus until this time again next week. Um, who think maybe if you say amen, go get them preacher, that means, by extension, you're a disciple maker. And um, listen, disciple making, you know this, but I'm going to say it, requires more than just an intellectual assent and, and reading the right book. It requires obedience. It requires obedience. Okay, here's my point with this. There are so many books written about discipleship today. 
And in some of these books, they're gonna say, you know what the church's problem with discipleship is? It's a knowledge problem. We need to know more of the Bible. We need to dig deeper. We need to have a better understanding in biblical teaching. Then you can find another shelf of books that will tell you, no, 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 no. That's not the problem with the church. The problem with the church is not knowledge. We got more Bibles than we know what to do with. The problem with the church is obedience. And um, the reason I gave these two examples is because through them, I think they show us beautifully that it is absolutely a knowledge problem and it is absolutely an obedience problem. It is, it is both. And when I say knowledge problem, I don't just mean like general Bible trivia knowledge. Um, that's not what I mean. What I mean is knowledge is in what is a disciple? What is discipleship? And it's also an obedience problem because there is a lot of people who just aren't willing to do what they know they need to do. And um, I know that this has been such a long introduction before we get to the text, so much longer than normal. But listen, I did this intentionally because here's, here's, here's what I want us to see as we read this. If we are foggy and unclear about what a disciple is, and we're unclear about what discipleship is. When we're unclear about that, we never fully, really know if we're doing it right. We don't know the target, and we don't know if we're doing it well. In my first example, you could be doing it and not even realize you're doing it. In the second example, you could think you're doing it and not even be close. Jesus, when he called you to go and make disciples, do you know what he was calling you to do? Do you know who he was calling you to make? Do you know who he was calling you to be? I want to take this problem head on this morning. And I want to do so by, I think, doing one of the most powerful things we can do is looking at Jesus' life when he calls his disciples. We've been journeying through Matthew, and in our text today, we're in Matthew 4. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Matthew 4, 18. And uh, in this text, Jesus calls his first disciples. He calls two sets of brothers, four guys. And um, even though our text this morning is brief, it is so rich, it is so powerful, and I just want us to take it in together. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to read it for us, and then we're going to walk through it slowly uh, together today. Matthew 4, and we will look at 18. It says this. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. I want us to kind of put ourselves in this scene here. We have Jesus taking a walk. And by the way, I looked this up. That's not a bad place to take a walk. Like, put yourself there. Like, that is awesome. And Jesus is taking a walk there. He sees two sets of fishermen brothers and, and these guys just weren't taking a break from their real jobs. Like, man, I got so much stress. Let's go throw some cast a line, you know? That's not what they were doing. These men were m making a living through fishing and, and, and providing for their families through fishing. And you have to imagine, just by looking at this picture, I think that they caught some delicious fish. 
just delicious fish, you know? And that's what they were doing. That's not the point, but that's what they were doing. So here in this walk, Jesus sees them casting their nets into the water. And in this moment, he calls them out with some language that is both familiar and weird and foreign at the same time. He, uh, he calls them out, though, using fisherman language. He calls fishermen using fishermen language. And here's what Jesus says. He says these powerful words, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Okay, there are entire books written on this one statement of Jesus. I was supposed to bring one, but I'm forgetful, so it's on my desk. But um, Putnam writes a book called Real Life Discipleship. And let me tell you, he takes the, his whole book, the whole book, takes this one sentence and builds his concept of what is a disciple from it. What, I say this because of this. We are standing on the shoulders of those who have gone before us who see this text and say there's something powerful here. And um, in so many ways, this is just such a defining and amazing statement that Jesus gives us. And so what I want to do is I want to break this into three parts. Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. So we're going to break this up just a little bit before we move forward. And I want to start with the first. And, and here's why we're doing it. We're defining what is a disciple, okay? So let's break this up into three parts. First, follow me. Meaning, look at me, do what I'm doing, know what I'm doing, follow me. The first part of a definition of what is a disciple. Let's get very simple this morning. A disciple is one who is following Jesus. That's, that's so simple. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus. So a disciple in this day is, is a student of a rabbi or a teacher, but it is so much more than what you think about when you think of just a student at a college campus today. When we say disciple in this day, it was someone who actually gave their life to follow their teacher. And in this day, they would even live alongside their teacher. They followed, literally followed them around. This is a disciple. And Jesus here comes to them and says, follow me. To follow Jesus means to follow him. That's so simple. It's so, so simple. We make it complicated, but following Jesus means we follow him. And for Peter and Andrew, start with them, we'll put them all together. For James and John's, John too, this was a costly call. Um, it was a call to drop their nets, to literally, physically drop their, their nets and direct their life now in the pursuit of Christ. This was a life-altering call. Jesus was not asking them, in other words, to take their already busy lives, where they've already got all this stuff going on, and just sprinkle a little Jesus on the top of it and call yourself a disciple. That's not what he was calling them to. This wasn't a call to take their normal life, sprinkle Jesus on top. This was a call for their life, to know Christ and to direct their life in, in pursuit of him, to follow after him. And here Jesus is calling them to follow after him, and don't miss this, without giving them any details. Normally, if you were to come up here and say, hey, Justin, would you follow me? I would say, where? Jesus doesn't give them a where, doesn't give them a destination. Um, and I guess it really doesn't matter. Because if you think about it, whether that destination is close or far, east or west, this way, that way, that city, this city, it doesn't matter. What matters is wherever Jesus goes, I will follow him. 
That's what matters. So the first part of following Jesus, discipleship, is, is following him. Not just adding him on with a little sprinkle on top, but turning our eyes to him and directing our lives in pursuit of him. But discipleship is not all just about following Christ. There's the second part of this statement that says, I will make you. Jesus tells these men, I will make you. It's a powerful statement because Jesus is very clear right out of the gate. He gives them his intention. My intention is to shape you. I'm going to make you. And I don't want you to miss this fact. These are grimy fishermen here. Fishermen here. No offense if you're a fisherman. Grimy, right? I don't, I don't know why that word comes to my mind with you. But Peter, Andrew, James, John, they're just ordinary guys. They're just ordinary guys doing ordinary jobs. How relatable is that? Jesus meets them right where they are as they're doing their normal jobs and casting their normal nets into the normal place they normal ca- normally cast them. And, and most, if not all, other religious teachers would have passed right by these guys. But Jesus here meets them where they are, makes his intention clear, tells them, I'm going to make you. I'm going to shape you. I'm going to form you. Follow me. And I love this about our Bible. As you read scripture, um, if you're in uh, any of our reading plans, you will undoubtedly have noticed this. As you read scripture, this is not a collection of stories about supermen and women who are awesome, who make good decisions, who uh, have their lives together. Mm-mm. As you read this, you, you see that this is full of uh, boneheads, sinners, people who don't have their life together, broken people with normal jobs. That's what you see here. And we see these broken people used by God in amazing ways, not because they are amazing, but because God is amazing and God is amazing through them. That's this whole, Jesus is the superhero here. There's, there's no one else that comes out squeaky clean. And I think that's so relatable for you and me. This is a collection of stories of, of, you know, normal people who are empowered and transformed by God. And so the truth is that God is not walking around looking for people who are perfect and strong and have their act together. That's not who he's looking for. Scripture is very clear. There are no perfect people. No, not one. Scripture is very clear. God is looking for humble people who have faith in him. That's who he's looking for. That's who God is looking for because it is in those people that God can reveal his strength and his power to them. And so here it shouldn't surprise us. Jesus calls the ordinary so that he can make them, so that he can be extraordinary through them. So as a disciple of Jesus, we are being shaped and formed, being changed by Jesus, not because we are great, but because he is great and because he is good. And he does this work. And so second part of the definition here, we have the first part, a disciple is one who follows Jesus. The second part here is a disciple is one who is being changed by Jesus. Jesus intends not only to get you to intellectually assent to his things, to his ways and to his teaching. He's not content with just your head. 
He's after your heart and his word promises to actually literally change you from the inside out. This is sanctification, the process by which we are being changed by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. A disciple is someone who knows and follows Jesus. A disciple is someone who is being changed by Jesus. And I wanna make a bold statement here. There is no version of Christianity that does not include that. There is no version of Christianity that does not include that. And um, know and follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus. I don't care who you are, where you come from, how old you are, how long you've been in church, what your background, your career. I don't care. This is an all-inclusive call of Jesus to come to him, to follow him, to know him, to be changed by him. This is the call that Jesus offers you through his work. And there's no version, again, of Christianity that does not include this. And the reason I bring this up is because it brings us to the third statement that I want to make. The final part of the statement is fishers of men. Church, just as Jesus' call to know him and follow him and, and to be changed by him, just as there is no version of Christianity that does not include that, the same is true for the third statement. There is no, this is not optional. This is a call for all of us. Know him and follow him, be changed by him, and be on mission for him. This is what a disciple is. It is part of the package to be a fisher of men. Okay, I want to call something out here. If you did not grow up in the church, or maybe you're here and you're just now realizing how weird that fisher of man language is, maybe you got some weird things coming to your mind. Like, um, I was thinking about this as I was studying. It's like pictures of like capturing people by nets came to my head and, uh, you know, luring people in because that's what fishers do. And it got real creepy, real dark. And I got to tell you, this is not what Jesus was saying to these men. Again, Jesus is using fisherman language to call fishermen. Not calling them to be creepy and lure people against their will, but to use fisherman language. In other words, you have been fishers of fish. Now Jesus meets them where they are and says, now your mission, our mission is people. People. And here's the point. When you come to know and follow spend time with Jesus and you're being changed by Jesus, you, we can't help but care about what he cares about. People. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. This is our mission. We cannot separate discipleship from evangelism. We can't do it because they're connected. They're part of the package. They're part of the, 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 the package. Why? Because apart from Christ, people will die in their sin. And people will experience eternity separated from Jesus. If you believe that, if you believe that scripture teaches that, which we do, then our hearts must break for them. Because growing in him means going to them. There's no breaking that up. This is his heart. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost as we follow him. Our, the, his mission is our mission. 
His purpose is our purpose and his mission as people. A disciple of Jesus is following Jesus. A disciple is being changed by Jesus. The third part of this is a disciple is committed to Jesus' mission. These fishermen were literally about to trade their nets um, for a new mission, a new purpose in their life. Again, life transformation, transforming moment for them. I gotta ask, so like, what does that mean for you and me? Um, Does this mean, in other words, that for you to be a disciple, you need to drop everything, put your two weeks notice in, drop your net, walk away, go join a monastery, go join the mission field, Become a pastor. That's really your options. Is that what it means? Um, I want to be careful here because maybe. (laughs) Um, Maybe. But maybe not. Um, What this means, though, for all of us is no matter what you are in and where God has called you, you now have a new purpose for why you do it. That's unescapable. Um, You have a bigger aim. You have a bigger purpose in all that you do. Um, For some of you, though, just like these fishermen, Jesus did or he will call you to leave. This was my story, and I did not see it coming. And um, this is what he did in in my life. And maybe for some of you, this is his calling for your life, that he's going to call you to go somewhere you didn't see coming and to do something that doesn't make any sense financially, why you would do something like this. That might be your call. And if that's your call, let's go. Like, Jesus has got you. Be on his mission. But for many of us, the call to be a disciple does not mean that you leave your nets behind. Instead, for so many of us, our call is now to use the nets now for his glory and a bigger mission than yourself. That's the call no matter who you are. In fact, if we're going to accomplish this great disciple-making mission, guess what? We're going to need people in all vocations who love and know and follow and are committed to Jesus' mission. We're going to need people in all vocations. Um, and, And whatever you do, wherever God places you, whether that's in sales, hospitality, um... I don't, do you, engineer, we have a lot of engineers. I I don't know why. Um, Whether that be pastoral ministry, whether that be mission field. Listen, whatever that means, you are placed there to be on his mission. And I want to make a huge statement this morning, and I mean this. It is just as important for you to be faithful in your mission field as it is that I am faithful in mine. It is just as important that you are faithful on the field that God has placed you in as it is that I am faithful in preaching this every Sunday morning. No matter who you are, where you live, where where God has placed you, listen, a disciple is following Jesus, changed by Jesus, and committed to Jesus' mission. That's what a disciple is. And if that's a disciple, what's discipleship? Well, it's following Jesus, helping others as they do the same. It's being changed by Jesus and helping others as they do the same. It's being committed to Jesus's mission to introduce more people to Jesus so that we can repeat this whole process all over again for his glory. This is discipleship. 
This is our calling. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You do not need to be a, a first century fisherman for that to apply. You do not need to be part of the 12 apostles for that to apply. This is the call that Jesus gives his followers. He says this to you today, February 2024. Follow me. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. This is, this is our call. And um, I want to talk a little bit now about the brothers who he called. So with that in mind, we have Simon, called Peter, and Andrew. Um, by the way, this wasn't as random as this may seem if you're just reading this text alone. Um, we know that Andrew already knew who Jesus was. We, we know that, that Andrew, in, according to John 1, Andrew was first a disciple of John the Baptist. And so Andrew knew John, knew John's message. He knew Christ. And, and we also know in, in, in John 1, 40, that he told his brother, Simon, Peter, about this Jesus guy. He knew Jesus. He told Simon about it. And, and so if, with that in mind, you have to imagine that this moment when the Jesus you've been told about is walking up to you and calling you to be on his mission with him, this was a moment of great excitement. It's like, man, the one we were preparing, talking about preparing the way for, he's here and he just called me. Like, that's really cool. I, at least I geek out about that. Um, but that's the first set of brothers. The second set of brothers, though, we don't get any indication they knew or saw this coming. For James and John, all we know, they're working with their dad. And um, as I was studying this, I realized the big point here is that Matthew chooses not to give us their background. All Matthew is set on for both of these brothers, he gives us no background. What Matthew's main point is Jesus' call and their response. That's the main point that Matthew is trying to get us to see. And the response is, is incredible because it's the same. I want to put these up here so you can see them side by side. So, or top on bottom. So, uh, verse 20 says, Immediately they, that is Peter and Andrew, left their nets and followed him. Verse 22, immediately they, that is James and John, left their boat and their, their dad and followed him. I want you to notice the similarities here. The similarities here. The first word, immediately. This is huge. Like, when Jesus calls you, there's no excuse for delay. There's not. There's no excuse. Uh, today is the day. We're not promised tomorrow. The time is now. And so Matthew communicates this through the word immediately. And immediately is my prayer for us as well. That as Jesus calls immediately that we would respond. Immediately they responded. And notice something else too. Both sets of brothers left something. Um, we have here uh, Peter and Andrew. They leave their nets. James and John, they leave their boat and their dad. Not that they disowned him. This isn't like a shun. I can't talk to you. What this means is that they left their, their, their former life to follow a new path in exchange for following Jesus. Notice the similarities. Immediately, no delay. Immediately, they leave their old way of life, their boat, the net, the family business, the old. They leave it behind. And then lastly, both sets of brothers then follow him. Meaning they went with him. They didn't have all the answers. They didn't even know if they were going north, south, east, west. They didn't know. But they knew Jesus, and so they're going to follow him. 
immediately. They become disciples, called to make disciples. That's Matthew's main point. And um, that's the call of Jesus, and that's, that's your call today. And, and with the time we have left, um, here's what I want to do. I want to give you one statement from this text, one statement, and then I would like for us to ask and answer three questions together, okay? So we're going to land this plane today. So here's the statement. Because... Um, we are in Christ. For a believer in Christ, for a follower of Jesus, hear me, discipleship is not optional. Discipleship is not optional. And I don't just mean the obvious Christianese thing where Matthew 28 says we should do it and so it's not optional. He didn't make it the great suggestion. It was the great commission. Like That is all true. He did call us to and it's not optional. But what I mean when I say discipleship is not optional, I mean something even more basic. What I mean when I say that is because you are a disciple of something. And you are making disciples of something. It is not optional. You are being shaped. You are being formed by something. You are not neutral. Discipleship is happening whether you are intentional about it or not. Let me give you an example. I love cycling. Oh my goodness, I love it. Like, I geek out about it. I love riding my bike. I love training on my bike. I love the, the road. I love the gravel. I love the hill country. Bring it. Indoor, outdoor, love it all. Um, I geek out about the smallest, stupidest equipment that no one cares about, like deep set wheels and stiff shoes and all the stuff that you're like, okay, I don't, I don't care. I do care. Love it. My only form of social media is Strava. And if you don't know what that is, it's because you're not weird like me. I love it. I love it. I even like watching bike racing. And for some of you, you're like, oh my goodness, that's boring. It's not. I love it. And I'm not just talking about the Tour de France. In fact, as I was writing this example and thinking through this example, I had a race on TV in the background. And I know I might be the only person in San Antonio, Texas to care. And I don't care because I love it. I love it. I love cycling. And you know what I, what I realized this week is without knowing it, I realized that I'm making disciples. Well, at least one of them. That's my son. And you know what I noticed? I didn't have to put him into a course on like the 12-step program to loving cycling. I didn't have to tell him how great it was. I didn't have to like pull his leg to like get out with me. I didn't have to do that. No. He saw my passion. He saw me loving it. And he just wanted to join in. This is a picture of him um, riding a bike that he worked really hard to save for. I didn't tell him to do that. Like he took care of dog droppings for our neighbors. I didn't tell him to do that. He did that because he wanted to join in. He's learning how to ride and train and ride with clipless cleats and experience the joy of suffering that you can only get from a bicycle. He's getting that. And um, church, most of the time, that is how discipleship works. Most of the time, discipleship is happening. Whether... Um, 
you realize it or not, you're being shaped and you are shaping. You're not neutral in this. You're not neutral in making disciples. Um, Parents, your kids are learning from you what it means to live this life and follow Jesus. You have friends in your life that are literally looking at you as an example of what it means to follow after Christ. Coworkers, your your peers. Listen, you are not neutral in discipleship because discipleship is not optional. It's not optional. Because that's true, I want us to ask and answer three questions. Number one, who are you following? Basic level, who's discipling you? Who is shaping you? What is shaping you? Whose mission are you on? You're not neutral in this. Who are you following? Is it Christ? Is it culture? Is it the algorithms on your social media feed? Who is forming you? Who is shaping you? What is your mission and who gave you that mission? Like fishermen in our text, um, to follow him meant they left the old way behind them. So to follow Jesus means they left the things they once followed. And this is a heart check for us. Who are you following? So for some of us with this first question, the first step as we reflect and, and in this, man, we just need to first confess and acknowledge the way that we have followed another. Jesus' words to us last week was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Some of us, we start here and we repent for following another. Who are you following? Question number one. Question number two, will you be a fan or a follower? Um, Okay, I found this so interesting this week. I looked at how Matthew uses the word disciple throughout his whole gospel. In some cases, he uses disciple to refer specifically to the 12, the 12 disciples, You see that in Matthew 10. Only the 12, talking about there. But in other cases, you see Matthew use the term disciple to refer to someone unnamed in a larger group of people. You see this in Matthew 8, 18. And um, you see here, Matthew is specifically in this text, for example, referring to someone who's not one of the 12. Just a disciple. He's referencing someone in a larger group. Here's the thing. With this term disciple, I wanted to give us a a definition that could apply more generally. When I say disciple, when Matthew uses disciple, it's always a term that differentiates. What I mean here is this. Jesus is is going to attract some large crowds. A lot of people are going to come and follow him and see what he's doing and watch him and spectate and uh, But this term disciple is always used to differentiate the people from between those who follow him around and those who follow him. The term used to talk about this crowd is disciple. It's a differentiation word from those who are fans and spectators to those who are true followers within the crowds. It's just like we saw with the Pharisees coming to see John the Baptist doing his baptisms a few weeks ago. And John called them out for it. Just spectators. And so let me call something out here today. In the Christian church today, especially the American church, there is often lots of people and lots of crowds. And um, it's possible just like in Jesus' time in his earthly ministry for us to follow Jesus around as a spectator and a fan. Go, Jesus. Um, to be one of the crowd, 
without ever really being a true follower of Jesus. Church, that is sadly possible. But Jesus' call here is so much deeper than that. The question is, will you follow him? Not just be a fan of him, will you be a follower? Jesus does not call fans, ever. He calls followers. Will you be a fan or will you be a follower? Last question that I have for us today. Because discipleship is not optional and you're making disciples of something, here's the third question. Will you be accidental or will you be intentional? Again, you're making disciples of something today. Will you be passive and unintentional and accidental about it or will you be intentional? Since... You were called by Jesus to be a disciple, to make a disciple, to be a fisher of men. Will you be accidental with it? Or will you be purposeful? And again, I don't mean you need a book or a 12-week class to do this. I mean much simpler, and I want to give you a challenge as we close. I'm not even going to ask you to add anything to your calendar, okay? Um, how, here's the question. How can you be more intentional with the things that are already on your calendar? I want you to think about this. How can you be more intentional with the things in your life so that you can be more committed to the mission of Christ? How can you be more intentional with your dinner with your family? How can you be more intentional tomorrow in the office? How can you be more intentional with your morning tomorrow? How can you be more intentional? Without even changing your schedule, what would it look like to just take your schedule and to be more intentional with it on mission for Jesus? What would that look like for you to be intentional with your life and your calendar remembering people are the mission your call is to follow him to be changed by him to be committed to his mission how can you be more intentional with that call my prayer for us is that we would be a community of people who follows jesus not as fans but as disciples that we would be being changed by christ and committed to the intentional mission that Christ gives us in our everyday lives. This is my prayer for us. And God, in your grace, would you give us the ability to walk in that? Amen. Let's pray.